Are you a fan of the Wonder Woman film directed by Patty Jenkins? can share your love for the movie by contributing to a special retrospective episode of the Justice League Universe podcast. The JLU podcast wants to hear about your favorite part of Wonder Woman. It could be a favorite scene, a favorite character, a creative decision that you really appreciated, or any other element of the film that really resonated with you. Think about your favorite part and why it is meaningful to you. Then submit it to jlupodcast at gmail.com by Monday, September 10th. You can send it as written text, which will be read aloud on the episode, or you can send an audio file up to three minutes in length. Let's come together and express our appreciation of this groundbreaking entry in the DC Films canon. Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. This podcast provides scene-by-scene analysis of the DC films from Warner Brothers Pictures. This episode was written by myself with Alessandro Maniscalco, Rebecca Johnson, and Sydney. You can find us on Twitter individually at Ott and Sam, at Raverin, at Derby Kid, and at WonderSid, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we cover scene 50 of Wonder Woman, which is a short scene involving the aftermath of the battle with Ares. But first, we'd like to take a minute to answer a question posed on YouTube by LB, who asked about how Diana was able to defeat Ares since she is only a demigoddess, but she defeated a true god. There are a few answers to this. First, if you just mean that Ares is at a higher power level and so should win, we would just say that the stronger person doesn't always win in a fight. Sometimes the underdog can get lucky. But by the end, maybe Diana wasn't really an underdog. She did power up very much towards the end of the fight. And regarding that, the director Patty Jenkins described it as Diana reaching new levels of power because of her love. For a more practical explanation, Diana is the god killer. So you could just say that Zeus infused her with the capability to kill Ares. If a god can kill another god, then certainly a god should be able to create something capable of killing another god, right? Although there is that question, could God create a boulder that was so heavy he couldn't lift it? Yet still another way of looking at it is that Wonder Woman didn't really kill Ares herself. She was able to redirect Ares' lightning strike back at him. This is how our listener Tobias Cushill interpreted it. So this means that basically Ares is strong enough to kill Ares. He's the one that supplied the power and the killing blow, and Diana just helped to direct it. This resolves the discrepancy between her being only a demigoddess while Ares is a full god. And this interpretation also works thematically because it's kind of like the idea that hatred and anger hurt the person himself, not just others. Alessandro sees it along a couple of these same lines at the same time. He feels that Ares addressed the point of her being able to defeat him when he said that only a god can kill another god. Ares explained to Diana that she was born of Zeus, created as a weapon to use against him. While Diana may just be a demigoddess, she has godly blood coursing through her veins. And while we may be quick to jump to the conclusion that it means she's only half as powerful as a god, there are a couple of things that are worth noting. We have to assume that Ares is telling Diana the truth, that she is the daughter of Zeus, and Diana having only one parent that is a god does not necessarily equate to her having only half the power of a god. Not only does genetics not work like that at all, but we have to accept that she was part of Zeus's plan to defeat Ares, and therefore it's a given that she could stand up to Ares. 
And also, Hippolyta herself is not a mere human. She showed extraordinary skill and had lived for a long time. So even if we assume Diana gets half her traits from Zeus, at half the level of Zeus, apparently, but having the other half of her traits come from Hippolyta would elevate Diana beyond a simple cross between human and god. To top it off, we were led to believe Ares is still in a weakened state following his earlier battle with Zeus. So according to Alessandro, any way you look at it, Diana should be able to stand her ground against Ares. But Alessandro does agree that ultimately Diana used Ares' power against him, and that played an integral role in her defeating him during that final battle. And one other quick point before we get into the scene. Um, way back, we talked about the idea that during her training on Themyscira, Diana's bracelet blast possibly broke the magic barrier surrounding the island. Sydney points out that the bracelets likely possess the ability to break through other kinds of magic or supernatural defenses, and that may have played a role in Diana's fight with Ares. The bracelets also seem to have been what gave Diana the ability to capture and channel Ares' energy against him. So, God-forged magical armor doesn't hurt in a fight either. Alright, let's go on to scene 50. Coming off the multiple phases of action and drama in the last few scenes, with the killing of Ludendorff, the temptation of Diana, the death of Steve, and the fight with Ares, this scene starts the denouement by giving a distinct feeling of calm. And to mark the falling action, we literally have Diana floating back down to the ground. She does a slow motion hero landing, and even this quick sequence, it doesn't definitively address the issue of whether she has the full powers of flight or not. As we've talked about before, the filmmakers handled her various moments of floating in an ambiguous way, where it seems open to interpretation. Maybe she has some flight abilities, or maybe she was just simply getting caught up into a bit of Ares' own powers. Given everything we've seen from her in the three films thus far, I personally tend to lean toward the latter interpretation, that she's just using some floating from Ares' powers around her, but I don't have an airtight case for that. Anyway, as she's floating down, the background scenery has shifted from the black of night to now the rising sun of dawn. And it's a pretty quick shift, um, but it's a shift that makes sense because it fits the mood, with Ares having been defeated, uh, and it also gives us the advantage of simply looking very beautiful for this short scene. Clearly, the sun represents life and the end of death and darkness, the rise of hope and peace. Does this immediate sunrise contradict Steve's point earlier that it's not as simple as just killing one bad guy? Yeah, it does kind of contradict it in an immediate sense, but not in a broader sense, because the evil side of mankind still exists. Uh, even the Germans and stuff who are smiling and going to be hugging that we'll see in a second, uh, they still have both the good and the bad inside of them. The bad can be pushed down temporarily, but it can, and does, always come back. For example, there is still a century of horrors to follow. As we get into the scene, uh, Rupert Gregson Williams, the composer, made a really nice choice here by having a pretty cello come forward with the melody and take us into the middle of the scene. It's of course not the battle theme with the electric cello, but rather a smoother, prettier acoustic cello, which is very fitting for the scene, and the fact that it's a cello at all is a nice implicit connection to the Wonder Woman motif. We see Samir and Charlie getting out from under some rubble, and they communicate a clear sense of relief with their body language. These odd fellows have been through countless adventures before this, and now they've managed to survive this latest, most incredible ordeal as well. 
Even though, unfortunately, their friend Steve didn't survive, we still can't blame them for being thankful that the threat is over and they were ultimately successful in stopping the gas attack. We also see some young German soldiers, equally relieved and happy to not only be soaking up the morning sun, but also breathing fresh air again. There's a bit of overacting, in my opinion, um, for example from the German on the right, who just seems a bit too much like an actor, really squeezing out all that he can from this moment on camera. Um, but overall, it's a very functional way to show the easing of tensions and to transition the audience from the drama of the battle into these emotional beats of the closing scenes. And there's another German who actually hugs Chief. This continues the pattern of Chief just being an all-around well-liked guy. And it also shows former enemies coming together in the promise of peace. This made us think about a famous story from the Great War, which is the Christmas Truce from 1914. This was a true story about some ceasefires that were called on the western front of World War I, and the Germans came together with the French and the British to swap souvenirs, exchange prisoners, and even sing carols together. It just goes to show that if the official call to war is suspended, it is possible for people to shift away from killing one another and toward treating each other like human beings. So this scene in the film is actually somewhat plausible. It's not necessarily Ares' influence that has lifted, or perhaps it's not just that Ares' influence has lifted, um, but if the soldiers already knew that they were very close to an official armistice between the opposing sides, and if they just saw that the factory, the gas bomber, and General Ludendorff were all killed, then it makes sense that they would give up on their orders and their desire to kill the enemy at all costs. In the middle of the scene, there's a close-up shot of Diana with the sunrise behind her, and it's reminiscent of two prior scenes, the scene in Veld, and the scene just a few minutes ago where she was looking around in slow motion with a strong orange-red color behind her. But those earlier scenes were sorrowful times, and this time it's more pleasant, marking a contrast to what came before while she was still on her mission to defeat Ares. Now she has defeated him, so we have a different feel to this close-up with her and the colors behind her. The scene ends with a wider shot of Diana in front of the sunrise, uh, just to make sure we don't miss that symbolism. And this time we can see Wonder Woman standing proudly, with some of those people whom she has saved standing and kneeling on either side of her. In this sense, she really has lived up to her God-given potential to save mankind, at least for the time being. With the Germans around, this does add some more witnesses to Wonder Woman's exploits in the Great War. And although a lot of the past witnesses, for example those in Veld, are most likely dead, these witnesses right here are very clearly alive. So does that mean that Diana will be famous after this? We'll answer that question in the next scene. Another question is what happened to Dr. Maru? We don't actually see her after she runs off screen when Diana was throwing aside the tank. But we don't really need to worry about that right now because we can just soak in the iconic imagery of Wonder Woman, fully present in man's world, having defended mankind and saved the world. That is our quick analysis of scene 50. We're going to be finishing up Wonder Woman in the next week or so. The only scenes left are the London celebration and then the modern day conclusion in Paris. And after that, we'll have our special retrospective episode where we share various people's favorite parts of the Wonder Woman film. Remember that you can submit your favorite part by September 10th to jlupodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get bonus content from us and be entered into giveaways through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash jlupodcasts. 
We just recently gave away 15 months of the DC Universe service, which will launch on September 15th. That went to Kevin Singratanakul, so congrats to him. And if any of you want to be entered in our next giveaway, just become a patron for $1 per month on Patreon. But even if you can't be a patron, we really appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And thanks, as always, to the Suicide Squadcast and the Suicide Squadcast Network and Man of Steel Answers.